We love baseball. We love family. What could be better than combining the two? Play ball! Welcome to the Baseball Family Podcast, presented by Baseballism, a production of that cast. And now, host Troy and Danae Silva. We have our first official guest on the podcast today, and he is a very, very close friend of Troy and I's. His name is Jose Rijo Berger, and he's joining us today. And we are going to take what he has as far as information and pass it out to the public. You guys are going to love this because he's not only my, I guess, business partner, but he's been my best friend since a long time ago. And uh, we met in college. And I'll, I'm going to tell you some stories about this guy first. But um, he's uh, the owner of Rio Athletics up in Seattle. He's been on that for a long time. I'm, I'm going to get into his personal testimony and his story. And we have actually moved down here to Arizona where we co-own Rio Athletics Arizona. So I literally have known this guy for way too long. But he's I, I call him my best friend because he is accountability partner and everything else. And um, Danae, what's your first remembrance of meeting him? Um, let's see. I met Jose. I think we were at a um, Halloween bash in San Jose. We were all like 20 <laughs> and his wife wasn't in the picture yet, but we ended up moving to Seattle and Troy right. went to work for him at his, um, baseball facility there. And I met his wife. We moved in with them right away and did not, I did not know his wife. It was a good experience though. We are really close now. So 20 years together but we lived there for how long six months and then got into our place it was a while i remember do you remember the do you remember the one thing that danae did the best thing about danae that i remember when i first met her when she by the way a little backstory to what she just mentioned when i asked troy to come up and help me and build this business and work is I told my wife I said by the way I have a friend that you never met that I played college ball with he's done playing pro ball uh, he's a really good guy uh, he's not very good looking but he's a good guy and um, and he's married and they don't have a place to live or enough money to do anything so I need them to live with us and my wife says wait a second you have a friend that you played with in college he's married and you want these two people that I've never met in my life come live in our house and I said yes and she said, okay. And then on the flip side of that, we get married, <laughs> not knowing what we're going to do with life. And we moved to Seattle from California, not having any money or anything. And we're like, what are we doing living? And then we get there and we're living with you guys all the way. But there was one specific thing that you remember most that we just talked about. It. <laughs> right. The best story ever about Danae is they needed some money <laughs> and it was really cold and it had to be like November and it was freezing and we had a pool and I said, Danae, I'll give you 20 bucks if you backflip off the diving board. And granted, the the pool was not filtered. Yeah. It wasn't heated. It was probably half green. And she just hops on the diving board and does a backwards flip into the pool. <laughs> and I could not believe that she did that because I hardly know this young woman at this time. And she just got on the diving board and flipped and did her thing. Awesome. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> I, ma I made her do it, too, because we needed the $20 at the time. The it was 100 no, I, I thought remember. it was 20 um, we needed the money, but that was, that was an awesome back. I didn't think you were going to do it. I didn't think you had it in you. It was amazing. It was amazing. But you never did it again. Cause I challenged you again and you never did it again. Nice. Um, so that was one memory. Uh, let's get to the memory that I have of meeting you first. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to get into like the, the background, if you want to call it, or leading up to all this stuff that he's going to talk about. And, um, the, the one thing that I remember about Jose Rijo Berger 
is getting to college. So I'm, I'm in college. I'm in Idaho. Never been on a plane out of California. Never been away from my family. And I'm in Idaho. And I'm staying in the dorm with my roommate. And there's this, there's this uh, name on the wall next, basically in the dorm room next to us that says, Jose Rijo Virgin. And we were literally like making fun of it like for like three days. Who's this Jose guy? Who's this Jose guy? And so he shows up one day about a week late. I don't know why you were late. Why were you late to like school? Because I was the number one recruit, and I come in later. <laughs> so you did whatever you wanted. To <laughs> you time. had to show up to early work. Oh I didn't. My goodness. So this dude's late. Don't know who he is, and he shows up. Literally, wife beater, two hoop gold hoop earrings, and a mini Mister T starter kit, walking down the hall like he's the best baseball player in America. And my first impression was this guy is a joke. He's got to go play soccer or something like that. Like, what's his thing? So. Anyway, uh, fast forward, we got to know each other. We did some stupid things in college together. We've kind of grown um, past that. But that's my first impression. I don't want to hear your first impression of me. Had to do probably with Vanilla Ice, though. Yeah, I thought you were Vanilla Ice because you rap like Vanilla Ice and you had blonde hair. That was that was before you lost your hair. And, um, Shaved it. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and he literally – but he was the best white like rapper impersonator that I've ever met in my entire life. Like, Fun you were fact. really good. Like, Fun you were fact. the white version of Bone Thugs and Harmony back in the day. Our and pre-Christian my, days. Yeah. And what was my rap name? Milk Bone. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But, yeah, that we can, we were, this, this podcast isn't going back to that right now. But. <laughs> so, um, so, fast forward. We, we go to Lewis Clark State. We um, become friends. Win a national championship in 1996 at Lewis Clark State, where I was the MVP of the World Series. And he thinks he should have been. Well, for the record, I had a higher batting average during that World Series. Because you had three extra drag bunt base hits. Usually the guy who has the best batting average in the College World three Series. Three drag bunt base hits. I had a walk-off home Usually run. gets the MVP. Trace, drag bunt base hits. Anyway, uh, so there's that funness. Um, and then he gets drafted by the New York Mets. I get drafted by the Cleveland Indians. We part ways and um, kind of communicate a little bit here and there. And uh, I remember one conversation probably a couple years into it. Uh, I'll let you tell your, your Mets story here in a second. But a couple years into it, we get we get back and we're conversating on the phone. I don't even know what. Maybe it's because you're getting married and I'm going to your wedding and I'm getting married. You're coming to my wedding, whatever. Um, and he's like, I got to tell you something. And I'm like, OK, cool. You know, what's this guy got to tell me? And he's like, well, I found Jesus and I'm a Christian now. And um, I start laughing, literally laughing out loud because I know Jose like nobody else knows Jose. And in our college days, we were anything but godly we'll call it and um so i'm thinking oh my goodness if god can change him there is a real god basically and i tell him the same thing i gotta tell you something i was actually saved in pro ball so he starts laughing at the same thing i don't you probably laughed harder than i did because i was more thuggish than you were in your mind anyway um so we we connected right away with that and um long story short we, we i ended up uh, playing a, more because i was better than him in pro ball <laughs> And got a couple more years in, and he ended up retiring. And then we kind of filtered back, and that's when we moved to Seattle and started up there. So tell us, as we get into this, Jose wrote a book, by the way. It's it's a picture book, and <laughs> there's but it's it, there's there's, there's like some ten words, words in, in there. It. Isn't it's amazing. There? It's called creating winning relationships through sports. You can read it in about thirty minutes, and it's 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 actually his testimony. It's pretty powerful, and um, a lot of the topics that we're going to talk about right now have. To do directly with that, uh, and I know the one of the first ones in your book was how baseball saved your life. So tell us 
a little bit about, um, I know your story cause I've heard it a million times when we go speak, but tell us a little bit about, you know, that specific thing and, and the pro ball thing and, and why you chose to quit and all that stuff. Well, I, I initially, you know, um, adopted by an amazing family. My dad died when I was young on my eighth birthday, pretty devastated, just like any young kid would be not to be able to have a dad to go play with and living in a uh, rough neighborhood and going through all that, getting into trouble, getting into fights, getting into juvie hall, all that kind of stuff. And I'm kind of rushing through this, but at the end of the day, I never really had any leadership from coaches or dads or anybody really kind of give me direction. And, um, but baseball truly gave me an opportunity where I had one coach take a chance on me at Walla Walla Community College, Coach Jay. And um, he said, Jose, he was the first man in my life outside of my dad to tell me, hey, you're a good kid, just making bad decisions with bad surroundings. And I never thought to myself I was a good kid. I was always kind of shady, living two different lifestyles and different things. So he took a chance on me, mentored me, helped me go on to play college ball and pro ball. And then I always had this just um, just deep, un- like when I got to pro ball, I remember the first day I got there, and I think I play for the New York Mets. I'm pretty good. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make millions. But I just felt this emptiness. And I felt this emptiness to be able to just not, like there was just something more I needed in, in life, you know? And so um, I started asking questions about God and who God was. And, and my version of God and church growing up, because I literally went twice in my life, was a bunch of dorky white people, you know? And that's all I knew. And I didn't know anything different. And um, so I just started asking questions, going to chapel to try to get hits in the game so I can move up the, the system and make millions and do this and stuff. And, um, just started asking questions and seeking and searching and doing all that. And, um, had a good first year, came in the off season and, um, someone invited me to church and I said, sure, why not? I've been asking questions. And as I walked into that church, um, the pastor and the, and the whole congregation just was very like welcoming and loving and there was black and white and asian and mexican and ball players and all these different people that i was like wow this is church and the pastor was funny and so and it wasn't a dorky looking white guy it that wasn't a dorky was looking be. white guy he's a former nfl linebacker and then at that time the seattle sonics were still in seattle and there were sonics there and seattle mariners there and um and all sorts there was guys in suits and then it seemed like there was homeless people there and i'm like wow this totally blows my mind of what church is and who god is and so um, that off season, I accepted the Lord and I was like, all right, I'm gonna work my butt off and go to the big leagues and make millions of dollars and do this and that. And as soon as I got into spring training that following year, God just kind of pressed upon my heart. Like you just need to stop playing. And I didn't know what that meant. Trying to learn how to talk to God, communicate with God. And so many people were going out after practice and going partying where I'd go back to my room and read my Bible. And I was just trying to figure out life, you know, and just trying to understand what God was saying. And so um, I literally that, that just a few weeks after that hit a base hit and called time, walked off the field and, and literally asked for my release papers to get out and went from Port St. Lucie, Florida to my mom getting remarried in a little mobile home in Lake Stevens. So you called timeout. You've, you've, you've worked hard your whole life to get to this spot. You have a chance to get to the big leagues. You're playing pro ball. You get a base hit in spring training. You literally call timeout and you say, I'm done. I'm done. I said, I I would say that I I wasn't done. It was just the beginning. And that was God's kind of plan for me moving forward to that. So think about that though. Like how many people try to get to this specific level of pro ball or even get into the big leagues. You're almost there. You're literally like one foot there, almost there. And then all of a sudden God puts it on your heart. Like this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing, nor is it something that I want to be doing. Yeah. And I think the whole, the whole driving force behind that was 
the amount of like just lack of direction and hope that I had growing up, not having a dad that I wanted to give that back to other people, not just kids, but like families. Well, not just your dad. I mean, I've, I've heard Jose's story cause he is my best friend a million times. Um, and obviously this is the shorter version of his testimony, but he was in a real gang, um, been shot at. I'll, I'll let you go more, but I mean, one of the most powerful things that I remember most about anything that you say is you have a gun pointed at your neck, touching your neck and your guns on somebody else's neck. You're in a gang. You're about ready to die. And God just saves your life. He did. You know, I thought, you know, as, when you're in that mindset back in the day, when I was 18 years old and you're living that life, you, you think to yourself like, this is, this, it's almost like a reward to get killed like that. Like that's kind of a, a badge of honor, you know? And, oh my goodness, by God's grace, it allowed us to to do what we do today, but it was just, um, I dropped the gun. I ran expecting to get shot in the back and I didn't. And I went back to my mom and, and I just said, I have to get out of Seattle. We have to get out of here. And, and she said, I got good news for you. And she said, I got a coach who wants to take a chance on you. And that was coach Jay that I mentioned earlier. That's awesome. And obviously there's way more behind it, but that's kind of the, the nutshell story. So if you, if you really, kind of sit back and look back on that like god seriously had his hand on your life because you should have been dead i should have been dead a couple times too but you should have been dead more than me probably a good chance that's correct (laughs) so so fast forward now you're in pro ball you retire you're back and and now what so this is kind of where you start the rio athletics academy and we start chatting a little bit more um so you kind of start doing your own lessons and you know we start doing this i move up there the, the academy the training we, we, we were both two morons not knowing anything we were doing as far as teaching by the way and if if i taught you back in 2003 i apologize <laughs> you could you could come get a refund because i probably ripped you off at that time i owe so many kids money back for making them bad at hitting <laughs> so but we dove into it right we dove into it danae's doing backflips off the diving board into a freezing pool we're living in seattle where it, you never see the sun we're we're teaching kids and we have no idea what we're doing and you know at the time we're still trying to i guess seek god is the best way to put it and um you know we're doing this and, and it's going and it's rolling and you know through this the, the i think you have a chapter in your book too that says basically how you became an expert i think both of us kind of became experts in what we do without even trying because of the number of kids and the number of families we were encountering every time and learning from their mistakes and learning what to do and what not to do and kind of literally like teaching ourselves through that whole process. So you say how you became an expert. So just kind of a background, Jose, in my opinion, is one of the best at helping families and kids accomplish their goals in playing college ball. Um, he's seen it all. Uh, we're honest and upfront and just kind of tells people what they need. But you became literally an expert in like not only like the training and development side of things, but like helping families. And tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I just have a heart to be able to help people, you know what I mean? Because without, without the help of people in my life, you know, um, I don't think I'm very much. One of the things that I've tried to do is seek out counsel from pastors, businessmen, people that I really respect and say, what would you do different at my age? You know, what could you do better, you know, if you look back when you were 30 or 35 or 40 or 45? And so because of that, the kind of a common theme that I continue to get with my mentors in my life is, you know, help others, you know, and because I have, um, you know, an opportunity to work with so many kids, we have an opportunity to work with so many kids. Um, that's just my heart. It's not about the money. It's not about, um, any of that. It's like, if you, if you, if you choose to make your mindset to be able to help others, the money will take care of itself, you know? And so 
um, the accidental expert, that chapter in the book is literally, it just came by accident of just experience and, and really God's grace, because he's the one that put people, you know, on their own heart to come to us and work with us and train with us and do all that stuff. So that's what I was going to say. When we look back at where you began, you wanted to be in the big leagues and to where you are now. It's all about him, how he's just arranged every step of this way. It's a powerful story. I don't get sick of this story. And I, and I say that a lot, like we wanted to become big leaguers, yeah. but God wanted us to become big league influences in people's lives. And looking back and now I'm, we're old, you, you, you dye your beard. I don't. True statement. I don't have hair. Um, you, you will probably look back 10 years from now and say the same thing, but you look to see how God mapped out that plan, not to become big leaguers like our goal was, but to map out his plan is to help others and to do that. So the accidental expert part is is something that we both kind of stumbled upon. The, the number of lessons that we did, the number of families that we, I mean, we're talking five to 10,000 kids a year for over 10 years that came through our doors. Because if you think about that specifically, and I know you, you're not that smart, smarter than me, maybe. We're just both dumb people. And just the, the, the impact that those kids had just because we're willing to not conform to the world and, and try to be an example and an influence. And I think in addition to that, I think people can learn a lot more from your failures, my failures, even as hitting coaches, as mentors, as dads. Like I think especially in the world today with social media and all the the influencers out there and all that kind of good stuff, like you really can share a lot more about how to help someone grow and get better, not only just in the baseball world, but as a husband, as a father, as a coach, as a friend, as a baseball player from of your, your failures. And I think I put a lot of that in the book to be able to help people to say, you'll learn a lot from making mistakes and it's okay when you make mistakes. It's just trying to correct those as you move forward. And baseball does that more than any sport. That's, that's a cool part. So let's get into some of the, the meat of the book. Um, a, a lot of you guys know a lot of the episodes that we've done in the past have to do with parents and, and, expectations and how parents kind of do it right, how they do it wrong. And, and I think you have some good wisdom. I think it reiterates kind of what we, we talked about past, but I think it's good to kind of give your wisdom, if you want to call it on some parental type tips. Um, give me some advice for parents that have like younger kids right now. So let's say some parents have maybe, you know, seven to 12 year old kids and they're kind of figuring out this whole baseball thing and, and, you know, is a kid serious and, and do they want to play? Are they good enough? Like what are some tips for young, the younger years as a parent and even a coach if you want, but as a parent with the younger kid, I think both as a coach and as a parent, you got to have fun. Like if you can go to the game and truly just enjoy watching your son or daughter play and just enjoy it if they go 0 for 4 or 4 for 4 and you don't treat them different as a human being on the car ride home that you just literally say, Hey, Nico, I really enjoy watching you play. Trey, I really enjoyed watching you hustle. And and then also putting realistic expectations on them, stuff that they can control. They can control a great attitude, great hustle, you know, but they can't control getting a base hit. Baseball is that game where you could do everything right as a hitter and still get out. So if you're giving rewards with ice cream for base hits versus hustle, I think you're you're creating, you know, a different mindset for a reward because we wanted them to be able to get hustle, attitude, effort, be a good teammate, be a good friend, but just really let them know that you love them. And it, and you got to reiterate this to them because there's so much pressure in today's world, because we give rings out when they're eight years old for a tournament, when they finish seventh, you know? <laughs> and so it's, it's one of those things where like, we need to understand like what we're trying to teach through the game. And I also think for parents having a realistic mindset that your kid 
isn't going to be in the big leagues. If that happens, that's a fantastic byproduct of work ethic, being a good teammate, being a good friend, hustling, being a leader, carrying the coach's bucket back to the truck. Coach, is there anything I could do? Show up late, stay early, whatever you got to do to be able to help them create a good mindset as a young age. But as a parent, if you are smiling in the stands and like enjoying it, and they will perform better. I've never seen a player in my entire life, in my entire life of 20 years, when dad has a radar gun and filming every at-bat when your kid's 10, <laughs> okay, them performing better. And or if you're with no anxiety and pressure. It just doesn't work, yeah. right? And so have fun. That's the best advice. They need to have fun, and you need to have fun. I'm, I'm sorry, but um, all I can think about right now is pizza because my grandma used to say, hey, if you hit a home run, you're going to get pizza. And that was my driving force. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, like, and my aunt Karen, you, you guys were awesome. But like, I was like, pizza, pizza, pizza. But there's days I didn't get pizza, but they usually would buy me pizza no matter what anyway. So right. it doesn't matter. So, um, but I think that's great information. I think just enjoying the younger years is important in it. I think a lot of times we can get caught up in stupid stuff, plastic rings for eighth place. What travel ball you're going to, what travel ball you're going to be on, what, what, you know, what's this, what's, I think you just get caught up too early. So I think what you're trying to say is, is just enjoy it, enjoy the ride at an early age. And then as they get older, they're either going to be good enough or they're not. And you'll know. And, and let's get into the older parts of this. So if you're a parent that has some older kids, I know, I know one of the major things that happens these days is the whole be seen, get noticed exposure. I just did a video on that a couple days ago. Uh, Go check that out on YouTube, by the way, it's called get noticed or something like that. But, um, so what can a parent do and you're, and this is where I think your expertise comes into play. Cause you're awesome at this. What can a parent do with a kid that's, you know, wanting to play college ball in, in uh, with the older kids? Like what, are, what should be their main focus? Well, I think one, you got to set goals. If you don't set goals and you just kind of wing workouts and wing lessons and wing academies and just randomly go to this showcase because one parent on another team said you need to go there, like really try to seek out advice from your high school coach, your club coach, from us, someone in your life that can mentor you and help you and guide you in the right direction. Um, most kids go to showcases and exposure events way too soon. And end up getting exposed. Exactly, they do. You know, And I think... We have to understand college coaches look for guys that are good teammates, good friends, work hard, not just a guy that has great exit velocity or throws 90 miles an hour at nine years old. You know what I mean? Like there's so much more to the game. And I'll tell you a story of a Pac-12 coach that was coaching one, or recruiting one of our kids in Seattle one time. And his first question is, hey, coach, I'm interested in X, Y, and Z. And he said, what's his fun factor? And I said, okay, what does that mean, coach? This is a Pac-12 coach. He said to me, he goes, I was Pac-10 back then, by the way. I think it was Pac-12 then. You think so? Yeah, I was Pac-12. We're old, though. We are old. Not when we were playing, it's when we were coaching. You said Pac-12, and I was like, man, maybe that was was Pac-8 or whatever they had back in the day. (laughs) We ain't that old. Um, But he goes, I want to know if the kid can have fun, right? I want to know if he can have fun playing the game. Because if you play in the Pac-12, you're not always going to hit good. You're not always going to feel good. You're going to have weekends, days, weeks that you're not very good because we play the best of the best. And so I think it's important at the older years to understand you got to set goals. You got to be, excuse me, strategic where you go, what you do, who you communicate with. Um, but I would, I would say this to every high school kid that we work with is control what you can control. You can control getting bigger, faster, stronger, better. You can control your grades. You can control your nutrition. You can control your supplements. You can control all the things that you need to do to get better. And believe it or not, it's still true. If you're good enough, people hear about you. It's that simple. And I would add on that too, I think the pressure that 
most parents put on their kids is is unknown. They don't. They're not even aware of it. Just because you, it's like you said, you got to set goals. Our, our goal is to play college ball or whatever it is. That's fine, but it can't be like every ounce of every minute of every day focusing on that because the pressure of the kid gets unhandleable. You know, they just can't control it. So I just think as a parent, you have to do your due diligence, but also understand like that fun factor is super important and keep the game fun and don't get too far ahead either. Like, like right now specifically, we're still in quarantine, hopefully coming out soon. Like you can get too far ahead sometimes and then forget about just enjoying the here and now and, and all that. So I think it goes hand in hand. It's having fun, doing your due diligence and setting goals and stuff, but also just enjoying the time. Yeah, and I think this goes for both younger, but but even more older, is parents don't get caught up where your kid hits in the lineup. Don't get caught up in what positions they play. Game because, changer. Game changer. You guys go check out that YouTube clip, by the way. I'm going to post that one again. You need to do I'm that go one again, yes. I'm going to post the game changer yeah. one again because that was beautiful. But but listen, I need, everybody to, I need everybody to hear this because college coaches can see through that. They don't care if they show up to a game and your kid's hitting eighth or second. We had a team a few years ago. The kids are still playing at Oregon State. We had guys hitting one, two in the lineup that didn't have college scholarship offers. Like one, two, and then we had guys later in the lineup, like six, seven, eight, that had college offers. Like it doesn't matter, you know? And so you can get so caught up in that, like it's a big deal, but it's really not. Is he having competitive bats? Is he getting better? You know, is his arm. Positioning too. The positioning too. It's actually better they play multiple positions. Those guys that were committed were, they weren't the shortstop, or one of them was, but yeah, (laughs) yeah. Outfield and everything. So, yeah. So I would really encourage you parents not to get caught up in that because, and remember, it takes one. Like I always tell people that it takes one college coach to love your son or daughter. Just one. You don't need 20 coaches to like you because the reality is certain coaches have certain molds. They like tall kids, skinny kids, big kids, short kids, aggressive kids, inside the ball, outside the ball. Like you could do everything right in your mind, but that just is not a good fit for their program. In addition to that is what's their grade class look like? You could be the best shortstop in Arizona, and you want to go to ASU, but they have two freshman All-American. Do you want to sit behind that or battle through that, or do you want to try someplace else where you get a better opportunity where guys are graduating or getting drafted? So, so much comes into play, but control your controllables. Yeah, and and the next part that I want to get into is, like, if you do have a gifted athlete versus an athlete that's just having fun, maybe a rec ball, just want to maybe play some high school sports and enjoy the ride and stuff like that. If you do have a gifted athlete versus that, you have to understand that. You have to set reasonable expectations for what's going on because you shouldn't do the same things, right? If you just have a kid that's just wanting to have fun and play and then not has, has no desire to play college ball, then you should have a different attitude than – the kid that wants to play that and and helping them out. So in one of your chapters, you talked about perspective and it's with our little niece, Nevaeh basically, but um, the perspective piece as a parent is beyond huge. So talk about what, what that chapter was all about. Well, my wife and I adopted a little beautiful girl when she was just five weeks old that was born with um, cleft lip and palate. We had to feed her through a tube for multiple years, born with drugs in her system She's almost 13 years old this month, and all her teachers at school and everything, she's like the hardest working, lovable, laughable. She's awesome. She's amazing in her own ways in so many ways. But one thing she's taught me that's really helped me, um, even now, is I have a high school with, with all my kids. I have one high school that probably play college ball. Um, is perspective. And when you adopt a little girl, I didn't even know what cleft and palate was. But when I saw that little girl, she could almost fit in one hand when we adopted her and I remember she was like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, but you wouldn't think that with, you know, tape across her face, tubes up her nose, feed her through a tube in her stomach and all these different things that you wouldn't see as the world wouldn't see as beautiful. 
But like the thing, the seven surgeries that she's had, I believe my wife might correct me on that. I don't know exactly how many, but it's been a lot. And all the doctor's appointments and all the different things she's dealt with, like she continues to fight and continues to have a smile on her face. And I think as parents, you can get so caught up in a kid going over four and think that's going to dictate what happens to them playing college baseball or not playing college baseball or softball that you forget like perspective. You get an opportunity to enjoy watching your healthy, lovable kid play baseball or softball versus being so stressed out. Like it's the most, it's the most, you know, excruciating thing to see parents so stressed out at a game at a tournament that no one's going to remember next week, you know? And so the perspective of like what you're watching and the opportunity you have, if you have the proper perspective, if they strike out, it's not that big of a deal because I struck out once. Yeah. More than I did. Uh, uh, <laughs> but I was seven playing 18. You mm-hmm. yeah, batting in the three hole. Cause my, never mind. I'm just kidding. So, but, but what I, what all that to be said is perspective. I mean, that the word says enough for itself is that if you have perspective going into it and realistic expectations, it makes your stress. It's, it's okay to have stresses about where your kids are going to go to college. It's a big decision. So I'm not saying just dismiss it, but I think it's important to understand that it's a game of baseball or softball. And last summer, I'll share this. Um, we have a friend of ours, his, her, his son came through our program. His name's Lynn Christian, Cam Christian came through our program. Um, one of the best outfielders we ever had. And, um, he went to Washington state and then transferred to Seattle U and he was killed in a car accident. And I remember I had Lynn come speak to our parents and our kids last summer when we were playing up in Seattle and he just shared with them, like, I miss watching my son run in from center field. Like, I don't remember him striking out. I don't remember his home runs. I just miss watching him run in from center field. And if you think about, like, that's a father who is never going to see his his son again on this earth. They're both Christians, so we'll see they'll see each other in heaven. But the perspective of that, like, just really, you can get so caught up in it. And it's so important to remember, like, these are kids playing a game, and yeah. it's fun. Well, that's just it, as I think anybody. And, and I'm not sitting here to say I'm an angel at this. We all get caught up in different things. Um, and the, I guess this kind of leads into the last part of your book, which is the cost of doing it wrong. Like I've done a lot of things wrong. I'll continue to do things wrong. That's just human nature and life and flesh. Um, but we can get it right. You know, and that's, I think that's the purpose of this podcast. Number one, and, and the whole baseball truth movement that I'm a part of. And I know that Jose does cause he's my best friend that I have to see every day. Um, it's, it's, it's about, even if you mess up, like, what are you going to do to get it right? So the cost of getting it wrong, and this is where your professional advice comes in handy too. What have you seen of people that like get it wrong as far as like the relationships and stuff? Well, I think that's the reason I wrote the book or at least we've spoke. Seen it. Yeah. We've seen it so many times over and over and over again. Like I remember a quick story. I remember going to a little league all-star game in the summer when I it was probably 15 years ago, maybe 12 years ago at the, at the least. And I saw a dad, a kid got out, and a dad picked up his kid and threw him, lifted him up against the fence. And, the, and he had to be 10 years old. And I'm like, I'm walking over there watching this, like, why is nobody doing anything about this? And it shocked me. It rocked my world to think, this kid's 10. He flew out, and his dad's throwing him up against a fence. And, you know, thankfully, I wasn't a thug then. I was a Christian, and so I just had to just pray for it and move on. But um, really, like, just understand, like, the impact that you're going to have on your son or your daughter or your nephew or niece or whoever that you're coaching or watching as a parent um, is a lifetime. Like it truly affects them for a lifetime. 
And so your decisions that you make, we all make bad decisions. We all, I mess up as a coach. I mess up as a dad. We all make those decisions. But to finish the book is what I talked about. Like the cost could be great. It could, it could be, it could cost relationships. I've seen father sons not want to talk to each other. I've seen that. And we've, we've been a part of that and it's, it's horrible. I have a, I have a, uh, a kid that I'm working with right now out of the house that the father son is there. It's a struggle. I mean, it, it is a battle and they don't like each other and it's because of the sport and the dad is bringing him to me to literally help mend the relationship. He's like, I don't care what you teach my kid baseball. I just want my kid to know that I love him and I've made a mistake and I need your help, you know? And so, so we're all going to make mistakes, but here's the beautiful thing about one is if you admit your failures to the people that you hurt and you ask for forgiveness, the human, the human heart is willing to see the truth to say that you messed up and I'm willing to restore this relationship. And I've had many dads say after reading my book that they actually did that. I did it. I've had to do it with Trey a couple of times because I got on him for something and felt bad after it. And I yep. said, literally, Trey, will you forgive me? Yep. Because I just it's I learned from that part of your book too. Good job on that one. Yeah. And it's hard to do, but if you do that, time heals, you know. And so just understand if you if if you're older and your kids are gone and they're done playing, go back to them and say, hey, you know what? If I treated you wrong or I put too much pressure on you, I want to let you know I'm proud of you. And I messed up and I wish I could take it back, but I can't, but forgive me, you know, and that, and that will help restore that relationship. And it's, it's never too late to get it right. And that's kind of what you ended on with it. It's never too late. It doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter how it's happened. It's never too late to get it right. And I think it starts with just asking for forgiveness. And, and when you do that, it's, it's powerful. So Danae, you've been sitting here doing nothing, hanging out. You're actually reading Jose's book as we're doing this. Oh, you're awesome. Um, Danae, I'm going to have you and Rebecca, Jose's wife, do a show one time, and you guys can just chat the whole time. That would be awesome. I'd want to listen to that, by the way. Yeah, I would listen to that one. Um, But anyway, uh, you guys are awesome listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to it. Hit the like button. Share it. Go follow Jose on social media. What do you got, like Twitter or something? You start your Twitter account? I started doing Twitter again. Yeah, nice. You have a YouTube? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. The Rio one? Just the Rio one, yeah. Yeah, you, I, I built that for you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, follow him on all that stuff. Uh, reach out to him. And um, I, th- I thought that was good information, Jose. You know what the best thing about Jose is? Is he doesn't speak very good English sometimes. And you did awesome with your English. Speaking of English, I've been your practicing. Spanish isn't very good either. You know what? Fun fact about Jose really quick. <laughs> so Jose, his whole life, thought he was Mexican. And he was he was adopted. His adopted name was Ian Berger. He found out that he was adopted, and he, his birth name was Jose Rijo. So he changed his when he was a gangster. He was Jose <laughs> Rijo Berger. Thought he was this uh, gangster thug. He thought he was Mexican. You get the little DNA. What is it? Twenty three and me. Twenty three and me. Yeah. And found out he's not Mexican. He has no Mexican in him. What are you? Colombian. So I think that's a really that, funny... Which makes sense is why I'm better looking. And why you don't speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. But uh, Jose, you're awesome. You're my best friend. I get to see you every day. Good job impacting kids. And you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Danae, you have anything to say? She I just don't sha- have anything to say. Yeah, well, I just well, shake well, my head just, at them. Yeah, she <laughs> shakes her head at her husband, not me. So the shaking of the head towards her husband was like, no. Towards me, it was like, uh, yes. 
Awesome. Well, uh, I hope this information helps you guys. Again, it's never too late. And um, go mend whatever you need to mend with. Maybe not just your kids, but maybe a coach or somebody else as well. So let's get it right, and let's get back to baseball soon. What do you think about that? Amen. God bless you. Amen. God bless.